0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe from smittenkitchen.com for something called smashed chicken meatball sliders. They look delicious. There was a moment a dozen or so years ago when sliders were all the rage on restaurant menus. Precious little burgers, the traditional slider, And more clever ones like meatballs and fritters would teeter with tweezer-applied toppings on tiny buns. And unless you unhinge your mandible to engulf slide, question mark, (laughs) your wobbly prey whole, it was a bit of a mess too. So why am I channeling the year 2009? Sliders have been having a renaissance in my kitchen this spring because I finally realized their size is perfect for smaller eaters and makes far more appetizing leftovers than, say, a cold burger with several bites removed sogged into an old day-old bun. A couple of months ago, I made Jessica Merchant's delicious sticky barbecue chicken meatballs and had an immediate urge to return the flavors, smash burger, slider style, for a weeknight meal for a sunny spring day. First, we make a chicken meatball mixture seasoned with scallions, garlic, and smoked paprika, And while it briefly chills, we make a quick buttermilk slaw, slice some pickles, and then if you're me, read persnickety, and don't love most bottled barbecue sauce, you're going to make a quickie version in the same skillet where you're going to turn the meatballs into little sizzly smash burgers. Together on a butter roasted bun, this was one of our favorite family dinners this month and a rare hit with everyone. I should just stop cooking while I'm ahead, right? So, Smitten Kitchen Keepers, my recipe book, is six months old today. I just noticed the date, cannot simply wrap my head around the fact that the book included a tour with 32 events in 22 m- metropolitan areas. A book that so many of you are still tagging me in photos of dishes that you're cooking from daily. It's only been around for six months. I'm, I'm thrilled that this warmer weather means you might be able to cook some of my summery favorites in the book, like zucchini cornbread and tomato butter, snow peas with pecorino and walnuts cucumber salad with garlicky dill yogurt, clam chowder with bacon croutons, zucchini and pesto lasagna, and crispy chili garlic butter shrimp, raspberry crostata, strawberry summer stack cake, that's my birthday cake next month, and blondie chip witches, which are in my freezer right now. I hope you love them as much as we do. But for now, here's the recipe for smashed chicken meatball sliders. This serves about eight. It takes one hour. And the source is Smitten Kitchen with flavors inspired by Jessica Merchant's Sticky Barbecue Chicken Meatballs. For the meatballs, you'll need one pound of ground chicken, one third cup of plain breadcrumbs such as panko, one tablespoon milk or water, five garlic cloves minced, four scallions minced and divided, one half teaspoon of smoked paprika, one teaspoon of kosher salt, freshly ground black pepper, one large egg. For the slaw, you'll need a third cup of buttermilk, well shaken, one-third cup mayonnaise or plain yogurt, two tablespoons of cider vinegar, one-half tablespoon of granulated sugar, two to three cups of thinly sliced or diced cabbage, any variety, and salt and freshly ground black pepper. For the assembly, uh, butter to toast buns and oil to cook the meatballs, You also need slider buns, such as potato or Hawaiian rolls, barbecue sauce, bottled or from the quickie recipe below, and thinly sliced pickles. First, you're going to prepare the meatballs. Combine the chicken, crumbs, milk, garlic, half the scallions, the paprika, salt, pepper, and an egg in a large bowl with a fork, mixing until just combined. Transfer the bowl to the fridge while you prepare the slaw. Then you're going to make the slaw. Whisk the buttermilk, mayo, cider vinegar, sugar, and remaining half of scallions from the meatballs in a large bowl and add cabbage, tossing to evenly coat it. Season to taste with salt and pepper. Here's where, if you're unhinged enough to make your own barbecue sauce, you can do so using the quickie recipe at the end, but there is truly no need to do this to make a great meatball slider. I promise. Next, you're going to toast your buns in a large frying pan, the same one where you'll cook your meatballs, melt a tablespoon of butter over medium heat. Place your buns cut side down in the pan. Cook until cut sides are golden brown about one to two minutes. Transfer to your plate or a platter where you're going to assemble your sliders. Next you're going to cook the smashed meatballs. So remove the chicken meatball mixture from the fridge and using wet hands for a smoother shape, roll into the size and number of meatballs that you want. This is determined by the size of your buns. Be sure to roll the meatballs smaller than the bun so that they will fit fit it out once they're smashed. You're gonna heat your large frying pan over high heat for a minute and then coat with about two tablespoons of oil. Place your first few meatballs in the pan and let them sear for 30 seconds to one minute before using a heavy spatula to flatten them until they're about one half inch thick. You're gonna season the meatballs with an extra dusting of salt and pepper Cook until they're crisp and deeply browned underneath about three to four minutes and then reduce the heat to medium-high if they're cooking much faster and flip each, cooking on the second side until it is also browned underneath for another two to three minutes. Transfer the meatballs to prepared buns and repeat with the remaining meat. To finish, you're going to spoon the barbecue sauce onto each meatball, top with a few sliced uh, slices of pickle. And a small heap of slaw, and then eat right away. Now here's the recipe for the quickie barbecue sauce I talked about earlier. You can combine one-third cup of ketchup, three tablespoons each of molasses and apple cider vinegar, one tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, and one teaspoon of chili powder or smoked paprika, or half of each, and put that in a skillet and bring to a simmer, stirring over medium-high heat. Reduce heat to medium and continue to cook, stirring for about two to three minutes, and then season to taste with salt and freshly ground black pepper. Pour into a bowl for serving, wipe out the pan, and continue to use it to toast the buns and cook the meatballs. So you're going to make the sauce first if you feel like the need to do it, but again, it is definitely not necessary for this really yummy recipe. Next, we're going to continue along the meatball train and (laughs) have a recipe for braised ginger meatballs in coconut broth. Now this is kind of more of a soup with meatballs in it, and uh, but I just kind of was in the mood for meatballs after reading that first recipe. This one's going to serve six. It takes 45 minutes and it's uh, adapted from Food & Wine magazine. I've made these before with a mixture of chicken and pork and it works just fine. If you can find it, one stalk of lemongrass, the outer leaves removed, and cut into one-inch lengths. It's a great addition here. You can add it with the ginger and garlic to the broth and remove it at the same time. I always add a bit of greens to this recipe. Baby spinach is the quickest. And since it's May, thinly sliced asparagus or trimmed asparagus in one-inch segments would be wonderful. Add chilies to taste. Two are called for. I often just put a few slices in because, you know, I've got kids. And then I marinate the rest in a little vinegar, setting them out to be spooned on top by those who want more heat. For the meatballs, you'll need two pounds of ground pork, two large eggs, three tablespoons of panko breadcrumbs, two tablespoons of finely chopped peeled fresh ginger, two garlic cloves minced, one tablespoon of fish sauce, Two teaspoons of kosher salt. For the broth, you'll need one 13 and a half ounce can of unsweetened coconut milk, two cups of chicken stock or low sodium broth, one quarter cup of thinly sliced peeled fresh ginger, two garlic cloves thinly sliced, two fresh red chilies thinly sliced plus extra for serving, finely grated zest and juice of one half of a lime, one tablespoon of fish sauce, one teaspoon of ground turmeric, one half teaspoon of granulated sugar, kosher salt, and a few handfuls of baby spinach. To serve, you'll need some roughly chopped fresh mint and cilantro leaves, some additional lime wedges, and steamed jasmine rice. I estimate about one quarter cup of cooked rice per person. First, you're gonna make the meatballs. You're gonna preheat your oven to 425 degrees Fahrenheit. Combine all of the ingredients in a large bowl. I like to do so with a fork or a potato masher. You're going to form the mixture into one and a half inch meatballs and arrange them on a large rimmed baking sheet about 1 inch apart. You can use a scoop for this if you want. Bake the meatballs until they're golden brown and just cook through about 12 to 14 minutes. Meanwhile, you're going to make the broth. In a large, ideally wide saucepan, combine the coconut milk, stock, ginger, garlic, chilies to taste, lime zest, and juice, fish sauce, turmeric, and sugar. Bring to a boil over high heat and then reduce the heat so the broth is simmering. Simmer for 10 minutes until the flavors are infused into the broth. You can leave everything in, but I like to remove everything with a skimmer for a smooth broth. Uh, Season to taste if needed with salt, and then add the meatballs to the broth. Return to a simmer, cover, and simmer until cooked through and tender, about 10 to 15 more minutes. Add the spinach and cook just till it wilts, and then season the broth with more sugar, salt, and lime juice if necessary. Serve with herbs, additional chilies, lime wedges, and rice. As far as doing ahead, the uncooked meatballs can be refrigerated on a baking sheet for up to one day, The broth can also be prepared in advance. It will keep for three days. Next recipe is for sweet potato salad with pepitas. So this is a pepita dressing, actually. So good morning and apologies in advance as I'm again one of those loathsome people who just returned from the beach where we went on vacation last week because our kids were off from school and we didn't see why they shouldn't have all the fun. Around me were turquoise waves, glittering with sunlight, lapping gently at the silky white sanded shore, and there were no children having tantrums or whining because this was a magical place. And at some, some of those things are true. However, as will always happen on vacation, while we had some enviable tacos and aguachiles, I was only a few days in when I started to fiercely miss home-cooked food most especially this salad that I had made the week before. Listen, sometimes I challenge myself to run distances further than I wish to. Well, that would be really any day, but sometimes I challenge myself to go to bed at decent hour for a week and see if that makes me a nicer person. Shockingly, it really does. And sometimes I challenge myself to do things like this, which is to take something I'm pretty sure I don't like, which is sweet potato salads, and create one that I would. Creamy dressings and or any parallels to summer cookout potato salads were rejected, so were cubes. I wanted it warm or room temperature, and I liked the idea of using some southwesternish flavors, but not to the point that it basically tasted like these sweet potato tacos in salad form, and there's a link at smittenkitchen.com. And I wanted crunch, interest, and acidity without having a bunch of extra hurdles to get them. The results surprised me. I'd expected at most to make it once or twice to iron the kinks out of the recipe. I thought the kids might like it, but I hadn't expected to be sitting by the beach in Mexico, kind of wishing someone would bring me some a full week later. So here's a few more details. I cut the potatoes into one-quarter inch half moons so they were leafy but not so thin that they'd fall apart. While they roast in the oven, you do a few simple things. Drain and rinse a can of black beans, chop some scallions and cilantro, you have a couple of limes and an avocado, and then we're going to make a warm but deconstructed dressing. I love using pepitas, but they can be a little flat tasting from the container, whether raw or already toasted. Warming them in olive oil gets them extra crisp and perfumes the oil with a deeply nutty flavor. Add some chili flakes for heat and then when the potatoes are ready, we're going to scatter everything on in layers, building the salad right on that sheet pan because why dirty another dish? You're going to finish it with salt, pepper, and lime juice and scoop it right into your plate. I've intended to add some cotija for a salty kick but was too busy eating it as is to get it out of the fridge, meaning that it's also vegan. And while I'd also intended this to be a warm salad, I found the leftovers spectacular from the fridge, so no need to reheat them. I hope you love it as much as I did. Here's the recipe. Sweet potato salad with warm pepita dressing. This serves four, takes 60 minutes. Source, Smitten Kitchen. I looked for longer, thinner sweet potatoes here so that the slices weren't too big. If you'd like more heat, paper thin slices of a hot pepper such as a jalapeno or a serrano would be a great addition here. You'll need two pounds which is about four medium sweet potatoes, six tablespoons of olive oil, one and a half teaspoons of kosher salt, freshly ground black pepper, one quarter cup pepitas which are hulled pumpkin seeds, raw or roasted, 1 teaspoon of mild Aleppo-style or hot red pepper flakes, or less to taste. 2 limes, 1 15-ounce can of black beans, 1 large avocado, 1 big handful of fresh cilantro, 4th thin scallions, and 1 cup of crumbled cotija. This is optional. You're going to heat the oven at 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Cut the potatoes in half lengthwise, and then into 1 quarter-inch half-moon slices. Coat a large baking sheet with one tablespoon of the olive oil. Scatter the sweet potatoes over and toss them with another one to two tablespoons of olive oil, one and a half teaspoons of kosher salt, and many grinds of black pepper. Spread them evenly in the pan. They won't fit in a single layer at this point, and that's fine as they shrink as they roast. You're going to roast them for 20 minutes until brown underneath, and then flip the potatoes and roast another 15 minutes until all of the pieces are tender and have brown spots. So while the potatoes roast, you're going to combine the pepitas with three tablespoons olive oil in a small skillet and warm them over medium heat. Let the pepitas sizzle in the oil for about one to two minutes. Keep a close eye on them. Raw ones may be able to handle more time but already toasted ones will need less to get one shade darker. Remove them from the heat and season with salt to taste plus red pepper flakes and set aside until the potatoes are ready. Drain and rinse your black beans. Have the avocado and remove the pit. Leave the halves in their skin and cut avocado into thin slices, not cutting through the skin. Roughly chop the cilantro and then thinly slice the scallions, white and green, and have your limes, cutting one further into wedges. Squeeze one lime wedge over the avocado to keep it from browning. When the potatoes are ready, immediately spoon the pepitas and oil over the potatoes and squeeze the juice of your lime halves over that. Scatter the tray with black beans, use a spoon to remove avocado slices and sections, and then fan them out over the tray. Sprinkle the pan with cilantro and scallions, plus cotija if you're using it. Uh, And of course the recipe will no longer be vegan at that point. Then you season well with additional salt and pepper. Scoop sections of the potatoes and their toppings onto plates and serve with an extra lime wedge and eat right away. The leftovers keep nicely for a few days in the fridge and I did not rewarm them and they were yummy. Our next recipe is a dessert for swirled berry yogurt popsicles. This is adapted just barely from Fanny Gerson's paletas. So, in the past, i made the argument that all sorts of absurd things, from fruit crisp to slab pies, pizzas, salad, lyonnaise, risotto, etc., etc., even shamelessly decadent cakes rolled in brown butter and cinnamon sugar, deserve inclusion in the meal of the day, in the first meal of the day. You might say I have no shame at all. I might say that I cleverly rail against the narrow confines of that which we know as breakfast. You might say I've gone too far this time, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to make the argument that breakfast popsicles deserve to become a thing. New York City theoretically has four seasons, but talk to anyone who lives here, or don't, they'll probably complain to you about this unsolicited, uh, not that we know any New Yorkers who are like that, and they will tell you that we really only have two seasons, face freezing wintry mix and sticky concrete inferno, with about two weeks in between all of that that's good and glorious on this earth. That's a popcorn-like explosion of blossoms from treetops to sidewalks and fiery carpets of every color foliage imaginable. But in modern terms, the stuff of which no-filter Instagrams are made, lo, not a minute after those spring petals hit the gutters, we had our first few days of eau de hot trash and a peculiar brand of cloying airlessness at which inner cities excel, and I wanted to climb into the freezer and never leave." So, long oven goodbye hot lattes, sayonara casseroles, braises and soups. Hello popsicle season. I've been trying to cool my heels in the popsicle category ever since the summer of 2013 on when on such an epic popsicle bender that I was worried about me too. But I can only stay away so long. Plus, I realized the site didn't have the most classic of easy homemade popsicles a yogurt and berry version, and very shortly after trying a homemade one, I realized I never wanted to eat yogurt from a bowl with berries again. Spoons, so very last year. As with the summer of 2013, I still firmly believe that nobody who enjoys popsicles should be without Fanny Gerson's Paletas book. I have never made a recipe from the book that fell short of exceeding every expectation of what an ice pop could be. Each is a wash in fresh ingredients, not too much sweetness, a perfect texture from the freezer. She credits the use of simple syrup. And a yield that's downright magical, always filling my popsicle molds with no shortages or excess. How does she do it? These were no different, and they're the prettiest ones yet. Don't fight it. Summer breakfast is served. Here's the recipe. Swirled berry yogurt popsicles adapted just barely from Fanny Gerson's paletas. This yields 10 popsicles, which hold about one-third cup liquid each, if you get the right mold. Two levels of cups of, I'm sorry, two level cups of fresh blackberries or the berry of your choice. Two tablespoons of honey, one-half lemon or one small lime, one-half cup of water, one-half cup of granulated sugar, One and a half cups of plain, unsweetened Greek-style yogurt. If your berries are large, especially blackberries, cut them in half. Place berries in a non-reactive, i.e. not aluminum or tin, which I suspect you weren't using anyhow, but place them in a non-reactive bowl and squeeze 1 tablespoon of lemon juice over it. Save the peel, you're about to use it. Add your honey and stir to combine, and then set aside. Place the lemon peel, water, and sugar in a saucepan, And cook, stirring until it comes to a boil and sugar has dissolved. Gently simmer for 5 minutes more. Strain out peel and chill syrup completely. You can do this in the fridge, but I find it much quicker to set the bowl of syrup in a larger bowl of ice water. Within 15 minutes, it should be quite cold to the touch. Whisk yogurt and chilled syrup together. Place the berry mixture and any juices that have accumulated in a blender and whirl until the desired texture. I left a few tiny chunks throughout on purpose. If you loathe the seeds from raspberries or blackberries, then puree fully and press through a fine mesh strainer to remove the seeds. You assemble the popsicles by alternating pouring a little bit of the yogurt mixture then a little bit of the berry mixture into each popsicle mold and repeating as desired until you reach about a quarter inch from the top. This is to leave room for expansion as they freeze. Then use a skewer to lightly swirl the mixtures together, just to have it look pretty. If using conventional molds, snap on the lid and freeze until solid about three to four hours. And if using glasses or other unconventional molds, freeze until the pops are beginning to set. That'll be 45 minutes to an hour. And then insert the sticks and freeze until solid three to four hours. If you're using an instant pop ice pop maker, then follow the manufacturer's instructions. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.